0: Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint us now. Anoint my mouth and my heart and my mind. Anoint the minds and hearts of all of us gathered in Jesus' name. And just let us receive what you have for us. Make us more mindful and more thankful of the church and for its saints, for its leaders and teachers who have passed on faithful and sound doctrine, and help us do the same to the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. This afternoon, we commemorate, we remember, St. Irenaeus, or Irenaeus, if you prefer. Uh, in his introduction to St. Irenaeus, in his translation of one of his two extant works, Father John Beer quotes another church historian, H.B. Sweet, no early Christian writer has deserved better of the whole church than Irenaeus. I don't know too well the history of our commemoration of him, but Um, That might be the case that he needs a little more recognition because we don't know too much about him. He's one of those that there are some doubts, considerable doubt, in fact, as to even the year of his birth. Estimates range from 97 A.D. to 160 A.D. That's quite a range to be born in. What we do know is this, that he learned Christianity in the Christian tradition from Polycarp. Polycarp personally knew the apostles, specifically St. John. And Polycarp was appointed by the apostles as bishop of Smyrna. And so Irenaeus is getting his beliefs, his teaching, what he's passing on, uh, from someone who got his beliefs, his teaching, what he's passing on, directly from the apostles. That makes, in the chain of custody, as it were, St. Irenaeus' teaching of the faith, it makes it extremely important. Because we can be quite sure that what he's teaching can be traced back to what the apostles were preaching and teaching in the very earliest years of the Christian church. Sometime before 177, he apparently carried this teaching and preaching, the Christian tradition, to Lyon in southern France. At that time, it was known as Gaul. And around 177, this is where we get a bit more evidence and where we're more sure in our knowledge, some persecution broke out. And theological divisions were threatening to divide and conquer the still new Christian church. Irenaeus by this time was a priest, and he was sent on a peace mission to Rome uh, about a dispute about Montanism. Montanism is named after its founder and teacher, Montanus. Its basic claim was that he was receiving new revelation of the Spirit on par with Scripture and what the apostles taught. And so he should be considered just as important as they... The earliest church did not like the idea of brand new revelation coming and saying whatever it pleased, and it tried to very carefully guard what they called the good deposit, what the apostles preached and taught and passed down through the bishops. It was labeled eventually a heresy. It's not that it was something so drastic as to be so new, um, but it did believe in this idea of receiving Complete new prophetic revelation, and the earliest Christians thought, well, you could fairly easily go off the rails if anyone claimed to speak for God. And so it was this conflict in the church in Rome that Irenaeus was sent to kind of mediate. That becomes a bit of a theme in his life. While he's in Rome, um, the old bishop of Lyon named Pontius he dies in prison because he was imprisoned during a local bout of persecution. And Irenaeus uh, is sent back from Rome after he's done this peacekeeping mission and is elected the Bishop of Lyon. He's mostly known for two works. One is a very fancy and long title because they didn't know well how to title books back then. On the detection and overthrow of the so-called gnosis or so-called knowledge. It's known by a shorter title today, uh, Against Heresies. In it, he describes the major Gnostic systems, Gnosticism being one of the earliest heresies that Christianity had to combat. He does so thoroughly and clearly and with a little bit of humor, and it's one of the chief sources of our knowledge of this early heresy called Gnosticism. He makes a case for Christianity in that book that has become kind of a classic. He relies heavily on Scripture, on the continuity of teaching between the apostles and the current bishops and their passing on of the faith to the next generation. Against the Gnostics also, so Gnosticism had this very heavy emphasis on the spirit and that the material things were lesser than and even potentially evil. Against the Gnostics, Irenaeus proclaimed two chief doctrines, the goodness of creation and the resurrection of the body. The fact that this world... And the things we see in it, our bodies themselves, are actually good, not evil. And that they will be resurrected when God comes to restore all things. He wrote another shorter work that I have in my hand here called On the Apostolic Preaching. It's probably the earliest summary we have of Christian teaching that's presented in kind of an apologetic manner. um, A manner that's trying to defend against false teachers. So um, he's he's known as a bishop and a theologian, a teacher of the faith. And he has some points at which we know exactly what he was preaching and teaching and what he was doing. And then uh, those are kind of the the lines we have, and we have to color in the rest. We don't know too much more about him. That's a a brief biography. What might we learn from Irenaeus in his life? His name comes from the Greek word for peace, Irenaeus. The Greek word for peace is Irene. And he was a peacemaker. Involved in controversies about exactly when to celebrate Easter, Irenaeus was sent to Rome yet again with a letter pleading with the bishop of Rome, Victor, to not excommunicate people that practiced Easter on a different day. He explained that they followed an ancient custom and that the previous bishops of Rome had peace in the church between those who practiced on The Jewish calendar, Nisan 14, the day itself when Passover was celebrated, or on the Sunday afterward. And he tried and he persuaded uh, that Bishop of Rome not to excommunicate people just for practicing Easter on another day. I think what this can teach us is that we should, in the church, properly, appropriately rank our doctrine. We can find it a bit tendentious, right, to, uh, to be a little stuck in the mud about when exactly to celebrate Easter. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that still separates Christians today. And whatever uh, peacemaking we've tried at coming together around the world on one date of Easter has not yet been successful. But we can easily think of things that have divided the church for no good reason. The color of the carpet or the direction of passing the plate Some of those famous, very nitpicky things that churches have split over in its uh, illustrious history. Uh, I think Irenaeus can teach us to put all of our doctrines into proper ranking. Such that we don't divide unnecessarily over things that are not worth dividing over. I was raised in a tradition that was very insistent on a particular understanding of when Jesus was coming back. The answer was next year and then next month, and then next week, and then he didn't. Disappointed a few times in my early Christian career. I came over the course of my Christian life, and especially through seminary, to simply believe that the end times are important, and there are all sorts of theories, but they're not nearly as important as, say, the crucifixion and the resurrection, as the fact that Jesus will come back, rather than the specific timing of it. There are all sorts of things that Christians disagree on. All sorts of things that unfortunately have divided us. Some of those things have been worth dividing over. I think the Reformation was a good thing. But some of those things have not been. And I think if we take back, look back into Irenaeus and his teaching and and how insistent he is on the core of things, we can begin to kind of develop a charity towards those within the church that disagree about things that ultimately should not divide us. It won't heal all our wounds, but it will heal some. Secondly, reading Scripture. This has been a journey of mine, and one of the main reasons that um, I've come to change some of my beliefs when it comes to theology. But uh, on reading Scripture, and this book in particular, on the apostolic preaching, this is a tour de force of how to read Scripture from a Jesus-centered point of view how everything that God has been doing from the beginning to the end all points to Jesus and his death, his resurrection, and the Spirit coming at Pentecost. Especially the Old Testament, when you find yourself wondering, how does this have anything to do with Jesus and with the gospel? I commend to you this book on the apostolic preaching, where Irenaeus is carefully interweaving all of the stories into a grand narrative about Jesus. So he teaches us, I think, to read Scripture better. And then thirdly, I think, as in his day, we have what I would call a re-emergent Gnostic threat. I believe we're in a culturally Gnostic moment, both politically and sociologically, and I'll do this very briefly so not to step too far into uh, some issues. But I do believe politically that we're in a place culturally that there are certain Divisions within our body politic that think we few, we happy few, we know the secret that you don't. We have secret inside knowledge about how things are really working. I could get more specific, but I won't. Against this, we might proclaim with Irenaeus the fact that Christianity is a public truth has public access, that anyone can go and read Scripture, anyone can go and read the Fathers, anyone can go and listen to the church as it preaches. There are no insiders and outsiders when it comes to the church. There's only those on the inside, sociologically. I think, uh, and again, I won't go too far into it, to not step too far into stuff, but transgenderism, I believe, the whole movement, is fundamentally a Gnostic heresy. It's giving ultimate priority to what is felt on the inside, regardless or regardless, rather, of anything of a bodily reality, some kind of created order of things. And so in contrast to that, I think we can look back to Irenaeus and proclaim the goodness of creation, that our bodies are good and created by God and come with it some kind of metaphysical uh, order and structure to the universe that God himself placed there. That we, to our own detriment, mess with and potentially disrupt. And so we can um, combat is too heavy of a word. We can re uh, tool ourselves. We can re-engage with a culture that is Gnostic in these ways by learning from some of the earliest teachers of the faith about the public nature of Christian truth and the goodness of creation. I'll close with what is probably his most famous line, not in this book, but his much longer one. It's this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, and a full human life consists in the vision of God. What we are ultimately about as Christians is nothing less than the full human life. And the fact that that full human life consists, what its highest good is, is to behold and be with the God that created us. It's an unfortunate, I think, cultural perception that Christianity is just mostly about telling people where they're wrong and how to start living. What we do when we proclaim to people hard truths, things about how God had designed us to live, things about uh, things that are immoral and need to be stood up against, we do that out of love for a culture that has lost its way because it's in glorifying God. It's in living into the structures of the way he created us. It's into the full human life, a human being fully alive, that we both come to glorify God most and enjoy Him most. Christian truth, the Christian way of life, is ultimately about nothing less than a fully lived human life to the glory of God. And if we can get people to see that when they see the church, rather than mere condemnation, I think we can go further towards building some bridges that might have been burnt a while ago. Amen.